0: You know, it's easy in life to focus on the wrong thing. When you're a student and you're in school, you're trying to figure out what's gonna be on the test. You know, what are the things that I've gotta know and what are the things that are not quite as important and, and you get into your career and you're trying to figure out what are the things that really matter for this job and, and what are those things that, that aren't as important. And, and it's just so much of life is trying to figure out what should I focus on and, and what do I not need to focus on and where should I be you know, directing my attention and maybe you've been to a sporting event before where, where you didn't quite understand the event and, and so you didn't know where to look or what was going on in the field below you. And there's a, a picture that I've seen that I, I think is one of the most remarkable pictures of a baseball game. And what had happened was this batter was up and after a swing had, uh, had accidentally released the bat, the bat flew into the seats and everyone reacted except for one person who wasn't paying attention. I wanna show you this photo. This is an unbelievable photo. I'll give you a second to to see what you're looking at. There's a boy right in the middle, not paying attention. You see everyone around the boy reacting, uh, you know, having the the reaction you should have, and then you see the boy's dad, the hero of all heroes. One of the most epic dad moments of all time. (laughs) Throws his arm out there, takes one for the team, and saves his son's face for the rest of his life. Now you might be going, why is everyone else reacting? And it looks like the son just went, what? You know, like, what's going on? If you look closely, what's he holding? It's a cell phone. Let it be a warning to all of you who walk and do anything else with your cell phone. Do not have a cell phone at a baseball game. But I, I, I saw this photo, and I, I just was in awe of it. There's so much happening all around this one picture. And this boy just looks like he's completely oblivious to it. And he probably never even saw it because all he saw was the back of his dad's arm. I mean, it's like, how do you miss a moment like that? And, and how many of us are going through life like this? Wait. What should I be looking at? What's going on around me? What What's the thing that I, that really deserves my attention? Well, we're going to begin a series today called Grounded, where we're going to look at uh, where do we Where do we direct our eyes? And, and and in particular, when it comes to God, what should we be? focus on. it. so I want to welcome you. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, My name is Jeremy. I'm the lead pastor here. And whether you're watching online or listening online or a a podcast or with us at one of our campuses, we are so thrilled that you're a part of it. And we're going to dive into a question uh, for the next couple months uh, that is a question all of us ask. And even if you would say, hey, I'm not really familiar with God. I'm not really familiar with the whole Jesus thing or the Bible thing or the church thing. Um, You have asked this question in one way or another, and even if you've been following Jesus as long as you can remember, you still ask the same question. And the question is simple, but it's profound: Where is God? Now we ask this question when things are good, and we go, "Hey, is is God a part of this too, or am, am I am I doing this on my own, or how how is this happening?" We also ask this question when things are bad, and when, when you have that gap, when you have that that distance, and you go. Well, where is God? And people throughout history have asked this question. And people have asked this in some pretty profound ways. One survivor of the Holocaust named Eli Wiesel famously uh, re- reflected back on the horrors that he had seen. And he asked the question this way. For God's sake, where is God? Can you imagine what he saw? The horrors of the Holocaust, of World War II. And, and he goes, I... I don't see God, I don't know where God is. And many people thought either God is dead, or God doesn't care, or God is somewhere else. How could this happen? And so we begin to wonder, yeah, where is God? What kind of a theology should we have as we place God somewhere? The author Diana Butler Bass says it like this. When it comes to Christian theology, distance has been God's default location. We don't know where he is, but he's not here. He's out there. He's far away. He's somewhere else. And so we may not know exactly, precisely where to locate God, but we have a pretty good idea he's far away. And I want to challenge that idea for the next couple months and go, what if God were closer than we thought? What if God were, were here, even in the dark moments, even in the painful moments, even in the moments that it may not seem like it? What if God were with us? How would this change the way we lived? Now we're going to base this, this series that we're going to explore uh, on uh, an argument that Paul made in the book of Colossians. This comes from Colossians chapter 1. Paul writes this, but you need to remain well established and rooted. You could say grounded. You need to have, have a foundation in faith and not shift away from the hope given in the good news that you heard. This message has been preached throughout all creation under heaven. Notice Paul's argument here, that you can be established and grounded in your faith when you realize the good news has been revealed throughout all of creation. This is what we mean by grounded. I'm not referring to, you know, your middle school years with your parents. You know, that's a different type of grounding. This kind of grounded is when you say, you know what, I'm not swayed by what's going on in my life. I don't, you know, go back and forth between radical ideas about God because I have been grounded in the good news that all of creation has revealed to me. And yet so often we don't look at creation to see God. We don't expect God to show up there because God is somewhere else. And so we're going to spend this series going, how do we find God in his creation? How do we learn to see God better as we study creation. So if you've got a journal, I would encourage you to get that out. And we're going to be in week one. And, and this journal is going to last you the whole series. And so if you've got one of these, I encourage you to bring it back with you and take notes in it each week of, of ideas that we're wrestling through and passages to consider. And, and again, this is a tool for you in your own study throughout the week as you're diving in deeper and you're studying with, with God. And, and uh, if you're in a life group, we encourage you to be, you can bring this to life group and ask questions there and, and be a part of that As well, if you brought a Bible with you, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter one, Hebrews in the New Testament. So if you've got a physical analog Bible with you, I encourage you to get that out. Get your spot there in Hebrews. If you've got a Bible app on a phone, I encourage you to get that out and get ready to to go there with us as well. Now, because of the nature of this series, we're going to explore some ideas uh, that you may have never thought of before of, of, of how to see God in creation. And, and so we're going to give you guys uh, an ability to ask some questions, to make this less of a monologue and more of a dialogue. And so we're, we're going to use a tool um, that we're going to invite you to ask questions. And then I'm going to follow up with some of these questions midweek. So here's the way we're going to do this. Uh, there is a website called Slido. Slido. Uh, So you can write this down or take a picture of this or whatever, Uh, Slido with a period right in the middle. You go to this website, it's not an app, you don't have to download anything. You can do it on your mobile phone, you can do it on a computer. You go to that, it's going to ask you for an event code. It's all you got to do, and you're just going to write the word grounded when you get there. It will pull up then a series of, uh, of a conversation that you can enter into with us, where you can ask questions right now. As you listen to this, you could ask a question of, hey, how does this you know, work or what's going on or whatever you wanna explore deeper with us. And then I'm going to take the top few questions and sometime midweek, we'll, we'll post a video uh, where I'll address the questions that you guys ask and we'll go deeper into the conversation based on what matters to you guys and what you're interested in. Now you're wondering, well, what are the top questions? You can go on there and even if you don't ask a question, you can vote for the questions that you like and they'll, they'll raise those questions up. And so those are the questions that I'll address. So if there's a question on there that you like, I encourage you to go on, vote for it. You can do this all weekend, uh, and then sometime midweek we will uh, respond to these, post it on all of our different social media, and you can look for it there, and we'll get into it together. Now, with any new idea we try, if this is a great idea, it's probably something we'll do again. If it's a bad idea, we'll act like we never did it, okay? So (laughs) that's the way this is going to work, but we're going to try. We've already got some good questions so far, so we'll see where we go with that, and uh, I'm looking forward to doing that with you guys midweek. Well, today we're gonna address the first topic, we're gonna look at the sky, okay? How do, how do we understand more about Jesus and God through understanding the sky in, in his creation? Now, that might feel a little bit weird. We're in a series called Grounded and week one begins with the sky and you may be going, hey, it's like you're inviting me to a baseball game and asking me to look down at a phone, you know? It might seem a little bit strange to you, but hang with me, uh, we're gonna explore all types of creation so that we are grounded deeper in our faith. Now, do the nature of this. We're gonna do things a little bit different. Uh, we're ask, adding the questions to it. I'm also going to add a poem each week, which is not something I normally do if you're new with us, but I thought, do the nature of this. Let's get our imaginations going. And so each week I'll begin with a poem. Uh, today's poem is called Parade of Clouds uh, by Margaret Dorstein. Here's what she writes As I lie on my back, gazing up at the sky, I see two fleecy lambs bounding by. And all of a sudden, what do I see? Why, a big polar bear glaring down at me. Now there is a dragon breathing white fire and is replaced in a poof by a monkey swinging in a tire. The parade continues with a ship floating on a white sea. Then there is an elephant waving its trunk at me. Watching the clouds is so much fun. They are whatever you want to see. All that is needed is to let your imagination run free. Let's pray together. God... We ask that you would help us to find you in the sky. As we explore your creation today, would you reveal yourself to us? Would you ground us in you so that we can walk away from this time knowing you, experiencing you on a deeper level as we learn to see you in a new way? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're writing things down, here's a premise I'd like to begin with as as we explore how does this part of creation, the sky, revealed uh, God to us. Here's the the thing to write down, that your view of the sky shapes your expectations of God. Okay, your view of the sky shapes your expectations of God. Now you might be going, what do you mean my view of the sky? I don't have a view of the sky. Well, you do, and there have been a variety of views of the sky uh, throughout history, and your view of the sky is shaping your expectations of God, whether or not you have ever connected these dots. Now, if you were to ask the question, where does God live? What would you say? What what kind of a response would you have? Now, ironically, you can ask this question to kids, and kids know the answer. They'll give you two different answers, and I've asked this enough to know. The first answer kids will give you is, God lives in my heart, which is a great answer. Yes, he does. Uh, So God lives in my heart. Anywhere else God lives? Well, he lives in heaven. Okay, that's the other answer you might get. Well, then you ask a follow-up question. Where is heaven? Um, they'll usually point up. It's like up there somewhere, right? And, and again, very simple premise. A kid can understand this, and a kid could even articulate this. But notice the implied assumption with this. If God lives in heaven, and heaven's out there, then God is out there. Now, this means that, that God might be, you know, unreachable to us. We, we, we can't get to him. He's too far away. It also might mean God's a little bit out of touch, You know, like, hey, uh, God, since you were here last in in Jesus, uh, things have changed a bit. You know, I don't know if you're aware, but maybe you're out of touch with reality. And, And so already when we begin to locate God in our minds, we start to have a distance and it begins to create an expectation. Now, here's where this leads to. The more you expect God to be out there, the less you experience him here. So if in your mind you are thinking God is out there, he lives up in heaven, he's somewhere far away, you are going to experience him less here because you're not looking for him. Your eyes aren't open to it. You're not expecting it. You would have to be surprised by him for it to happen because it's not something you are looking for. You're engaging. But if you change your view of the sky, you change your view of God. There you go, okay, what, what do you mean view of the sky? Well, Before satellites, before Google Earth, the ancient Hebrews had a very different understanding of the world. And so when you read throughout the Old Testament in particular, you have to realize you're reading a worldview that is very different than what most of us have today. And yet we often read it and we assume they believed everything the way we believe everything. But that's just not true. That in their ancient Hebrew mindset, uh, the world was a dome and the earth was flat. This was the the predominant thinking. And so when you begin to understand how did they envision God, how did they envision creation, they they viewed it very differently than us. Now, I'm going to show you an illustration that scholars and theologians have put together that summarizes in in a picture the way that a lot of the Old Testament portrays creation, right? And so I'm going to show you this. This is a little bit hard to see at first, so let me explain it. Now, you might think you're looking at the earth, uh, but this whole thing's not the earth. This is the earth right here. And so, again, understand it's a flat earth mentality. And then the dome right here is the sky. Now, this is an important understanding because what they believed is that the sky was a barrier. It was a boundary. And what you have above the sky right here is water. And that's how they explained rain. That rain was when there was a crack in the sky and water came through. So evidently, there is a huge crack in the Northwest. You know, I don't know what happened. God bumped it or something. You know, I'm not sure. But something happened in the Northwest, which I personally am very grateful for. I love the rain. But that's how they explained it, that, that there had to be water up there that somehow was getting through the boundary. That's what made sense to them. Now, uh, again, this is... Uh, explains a lot of things that you can read throughout the Bible. If you've ever read a lot of the different ways that they explain hell, what you may not realize is that we have one English word for hell. There's a lot of original words that all get translated into our English word hell. One of those words is the word sheol. Now sheol, they literally thought was a place underneath the earth. And so again, we take these and we create this whole metaphor of it. That's not how they envisioned it. They literally thought that was a place you could go that was directly under the earth. Now, when you have this picture in mind, this will help you make sense of much of the imagery in the Old Testament, because that's the ancient Hebrew understanding of creation. Now, I can show you this. I'm going to read to you Psalm 104, verses 5 through 9. And I want you to stare at this while you listen to Psalm 104, and you go, oh, that's what they were explaining. That's what they're envisioning. And yet, again, to us, this is not the view most of us have of the earth. Here's Psalm 104, verse 5. He set the earth on its foundations, it can never be moved. What does that mean? Well, the earth is flat, it's got to rest on top of something. And so there are foundations. If you've ever heard the term pillars of the earth, that was not a metaphor. They literally thought there were pillars holding the earth up. If the earth is flat, it's got to rest on something, it can't be floating. And so they had this idea of a foundation of the earth or the pillars of the earth. That's what's being referenced. It can never be moved. You covered it with the watery depths as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. Now again, if you read this, you're going, the waters stood, up. Ab- that makes no sense. To them it does. The waters stood above the mountains. These are not just like clouds. This is like a whole grip of water that is up here that is being held back by the sky, by, by this boundary. Otherwise there'd be all this water, but the waters stood above The mountains, verse seven, but at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains. Again, understand, they flowed over the mountains. That's how he's explaining it. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. What's that? That's the great deep. That's where the water goes once God moves it from the top. That's the the idea there. Notice this line. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. That's an explanation of the sky, that there is a boundary that the water cannot cross unless God allows it. This is the way they envisioned the sky, that the sky was a boundary to keep things in and to keep things out. And if you begin to understand the the sky as a boundary, you begin to see how they envisioned creation, how they understood the sky. If you ever seen the, the movie, The Truman Show, think of that. It's a little bit like that. If you remember in this show, he's living what he thinks is the whole earth, but he's actually living in a giant dome. And, and you know this when you watch the show, but Truman doesn't know this. And there's this iconic scene where he gets on a boat and he's like, I'm going to explore the world. And he runs into the wall. Have you ever seen the movie? And he has this like weird moment where he's like, how is there a wall and then you know, there's stairs and a door and, and he's trying to figure it out. That's actually a great way to think about the way they imagined the world, that there was an edge to the sky, there was an actual boundary. Another way to think about this is like a snow globe, that if you envision a snow globe, that's a very similar way as to how they would understand it. Now I've got one here, this is actually uh, not a snow globe, it's a Portland rain globe. I don't know <laughs> if you knew that. Uh, but you dump this over and instead of snow, Begins to rain in Portland. Just pretty fantastic. Uh, so, here's what I love about this. So, imagine this this is creation. It's got to rest on something. And so, again, it's flat. Uh, so, it rests on top of the pillars of the earth, the foundation, the, the sky is the dome, and nothing gets in or out beyond this barrier except what God allows. This is the way they envisioned it. And so you begin to go, okay, that is how they interpreted it. That will help you make sense out of a lot of what you read in the Old Testament if you read it with this understanding because that's what they were picturing. Now, if you have that view of creation, it starts to lead to some interesting behavior uh, because you begin to wonder, well, what's at the edge of this? Right. And so let me show you this. There's an old wood engraving about a missionary and it's pretty interesting. This is uh, originally done on wood, but you have a a picture here. What this is depicting is the edge of the sky, the edge of the dome where it touches, you know, the, the earth. Now, again, imagine if the sky is the barrier, what would happen if you could get beyond the barrier? This is what created all kinds of uh, imaginative, you know, adventures for them. And so here what you have is you have all of creation. This is inside the dome. You have, you know, trees and the sun and all that. This is the sky. This is the boundary. But this is the point where they're envisioning where the boundary meets the earth. Now we're going to zoom in a little bit because what you have here is you have a guy breaking through the boundary, and so what he's having, he's, he's halfway through, that's his head, that's his hand. And you can see him, literally, he's crawling under the edge of this. Now, this captured their imaginations because this would be, you know, to experience something amazing. What's on the other side of the sky? What's on the other side of the boundary? Let me read something that was written about this wood engraving. It says, a naive missionary of the Middle Ages Even tells us that in one of his voyages in search of the terrestrial paradise, he reached the horizon where the earth and the heavens met. This is this moment. The earth and the heavens met. The sky met. And he discovered there a certain point where they were not joined together. He found a, a hole. And where? By stooping his shoulders, he passed under the roof of the heavens. Now this is not a naive missionary. This is a lying missionary. But he had a story to tell. Right? And he's like... I've seen the other side. I, I, I crawled through it. And you can imagine them going, tell us about it. What did you see? What was on the other side of the sky? And, and so this was something that they often thought about because of the way that they envisioned the sky. Now, at this point, you might be going, why does any of this matter? Why are we talking so much about an old understanding of the sky? Here's why it matters. If the earth is a dome, God doesn't live in it. This was their understanding. If the earth is a dome, God is not on this side of the dome. He's on the other side of the barrier. God is far away. There is an implied distance into God's location that was built into the Hebrew mindset that God was far away. They just knew that to be true because of their view of the sky. Now, again, once you know that, you can see this displayed throughout the Old Testament. Isaiah 66 says it like this. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Now we take that today, we're like, oh, that's poetry. That's so good. That's literally how they envisioned creation. God lived in heaven and he put his feet on the earth. He didn't live on the earth. He just came down and he visited once or twice or propped his feet up on us. Now let's go back to our illustration. Where is God in this? Right there may not have realized that, right? He's not in here. God is up there, the heavens. God does not live inside the dome. They knew that intuitively, which then creates an implied distance with God because your view of the sky shapes your expectations of God. Now, some people like this. They like the idea that God is far away. And maybe you like that idea. Like, I can do whatever I want. God doesn't care. God's not involved. God's not up to date. I live my life the way I want to live it. And maybe we, we are happy with that. But maybe you've asked the question, well, at what point can we meet God? At what point does that, does that barrier stop? Is it, is it the edge at some point, if I could find the edge like that missionary did, that then I could experience God? At what point does the sky meet us? Do we find God in the sky? I remember when I was a little kid, and one of the first uh, times I got to fly on an airplane, I remember I had a burning question. What is on the other side of clouds? I don't know if you've ever asked this question before, but I clearly remember as a kid, this was my question. What's on the other side of the clouds? Because as a kid, I'd look up, and the furthest I could see would be clouds. And I always wondered, what, what's beyond the clouds? And so I couldn't articulate this, but essentially, I envisioned that clouds were the top of the dome. That something beyond the clouds would, would maybe be God or space. I don't know what I was expecting, but, but it was going to be incredible. I remember asking my parents, hey, guys, what's on the other side of clouds? And they couldn't answer it. And I thought... They don't know. They've never seen it, you know. And I convinced myself that there's this great, you know, conspiracy and I was going to discover it. So I remember uh, asking for the window seat on this flight. And, and so I get to, to be on the window and I am so excited because I'm going to find out what's on the other side of clouds. And so we, we, you know, get ready to take off. I'm like, Dad, are we going to go through the clouds today? And he's like, yeah, probably. I'm like, oh. Gonna happen. It's, this is the day, you know? And I'm like so pumped. No one else understands why I'm so pumped. And so we get, you know, taken off and I can see the clouds coming. I'm like, oh, this is gonna be good. And then we get up into the clouds, it gets a little turbulent. I'm like, oh. I'm like, you know, literally holding my breath, like, this is the moment. Then we break through the clouds and I'm like, what? It's just more sky. And my dad's like, yeah, what were you expecting? Like, I, I don't know, God, I don't know, like something. Cooler than this, I was so confused because in my mind, that was the barrier. Now, I don't know about for you, but there's probably some barrier in your mind that if you get to that point, that's when you meet God. That's when you can break through. And we often wonder, what would it take for us to experience God like that? Well, we actually have the answer to the question. If you're with me in Hebrews chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse 1. And we'll see a passage, this is one of my favorite passages In all the Bible, because it says so much to us in these few verses. And and I quote this often because you can learn all kinds of good theology out of this passage. But but in this one passage, we're going to learn the answer to how do we know at what point in creation we can experience God? At what point in the boundary of the sky do we get to find God? Here's what the author of Hebrews says in chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Now, if you like to notate, mark up in your Bible, I encourage you, circle, highlight, underline the phrase various ways. Uh, and you'll see why in just a second. But that's an important phrase there. So notate that somehow. But, this is a big but, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus, whom he appointed heir of all things. And through whom also he made the universe. God's explaining how this works. Well, how did all this come to be? Oh, Jesus made it. Now, if you know your Bible, you're going back to Genesis, you're going, wait a minute, wait a minute, time out, pastor. Uh, That doesn't talk about Jesus and Genesis. That's God speaking into motion. You're right. God literally speaks creation into being. What does the New Testament refer to Jesus as? The word of God. Here the author of Hebrews is connecting these ideas, saying, yes, God spoke into creation. That was Jesus. That literally created the universe. I don't know, when you think about Jesus, do you think about the guy that created the universe? That's what the author of Hebrews is explaining. Uh, He also made the universe. Notice this, verse 3. The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Not only did Jesus create the universe, he is sustaining the universe. He is holding creation together. The fact that you and I are breathing right now is only because Jesus has sustained this moment. If it weren't for that, we would not have breath. We owe everything to the fact that he has sustained whatever it is that we have. Now... I would suggest that this is one where an English translation can lead us to some faulty conclusions uh, different than what I think the author was trying to say. Now, I I talked about the, the phrase various ways to notate that. Here's why I want you to notate that phrase. In Greek, it's the word polymeros which is a very interesting word. Now, when we translate this as various ways, it implies that there's lots of ways to know God. That way, that way, that way, or that way. And those are some ways over there. But it's not that kind of a description. He's talking about scale or degree. And so a better definition, a more literal translation would be glimpses of truth. And so in the past, God spoke through glimpses of truth. You, you have a, 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 a kind of like a quantity there. Like it was only this much. And what the author of Hebrews is doing is he's making a contrast. In the past, in the Old Testament, in the prophets, and all that you had in the past, you had glimpses of truth. You had polymeros. But now you have Jesus. And the point he's making is that Jesus negates polymeros. And so Jesus is not another glimpse of truth. Jesus is not another way. And so, well, you had various ways there, and here's another way, it's Jesus. That's the wrong way of understanding this argument. The argument is that you had glimpses of truth, and now you have the fullness of truth in Jesus. And so when you begin to understand this, you go, okay, so we had glimpses, now we have the whole thing. And this is what Jesus said about himself, and you find this all over the New Testament. Jesus says it in John 14. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Notice what he does not say. I am the way and a glimpse of the truth and the life. I am the way and a, a various version of the truth and no, the truth. See, Jesus never came and said, yeah, just add me to what you already had and see how I fit in. Jesus says, I am the, the culmination Of all you had ever seen before, now you see it fully in me. There is no glimpse of truth in Jesus. He's the full thing. Or I love how uh, the author and Pastor Greg Boyd says it. Jesus is what God looks like when there are no clouds in the way. Love that image. That if you could just see, if everything was clear, you're like, what is God really like? You're like, Oh, it's Jesus. That's what God really looks like. But before that, they didn't have that view. They had never seen God with no clouds in the way. That's why they had glimpses of truth. Now we have the clear shot. We can see what God fully looks like. And Jesus resets everything. So they would have began with the premise that there's an implied distance. God is far away. He's on the other side of the barrier. Jesus comes and says, no, no, no. I'm with you. I'm I'm right here. I'm in creation with you. I'm not far away. And now you have a decision to make. Do you go with the old understanding or do you go with what Jesus is saying when Jesus says that he's with us? Now, this is the whole point we celebrated at Christmas just a couple weeks ago. That Emmanuel, God is with us. This is the point. This was a shocking revelation to them. Like, God's not far away anymore. God's not on some other side of the boundary. No, God is with us. Now, as a side note, as your pastor, I would just like to thank you and applaud you and celebrate with you that as a church, we got to experience, as you may have already heard, the biggest Christmas in the history of our church as more than 5,000 people got to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Yeah, you can clap for that. Amen. That is because you invited them. That you knew this matters enough. That I'm going to try to get other people to experience it. And we got to experience something together that we've never done as a church Way to go. I'm so excited and excited to be a part of this with you. And if you are here today because somebody invited you and you checked out Christopher for the first time, we are so glad you're back. And wherever you're at, you're journeying with God, you are welcome here. There's no question that's off limits. You can be who you are. We're excited that you're here and to experience community with us. But this is the point. What we just celebrated two weeks ago is the same thing we're celebrating today. God is with us, That's not just a Christmas story. That's the whole point of Jesus. Like, wait a minute. God's not far away anymore. God's not on the other side of the boundary. No, he's actually with us. Uh, and this is huge. Now, As one author and pastor says it, his name Erwin McManus, he says, God is the name I use when I talk about me searching for him. But Jesus is the name I use when I talk about God searching for me. See, every other world religion is going to tell you, here's where God is. Here's what you have to do to get to him. You do these things, you pray these prayers, you, you, you know, do more good things than bad things, whatever it is, uh, depending on the religion. Here's what you have to do to get to God. Christianity goes, no, 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 you can't do that. Jesus came to you. You can't get to him. He came to you. If he didn't want to come to you, you could have never got to him. But you don't have to because Jesus came for us. It's a radical shift in perspective, and it would have been a radical for them as well. Let me show you the way the Apostle Paul makes the same argument in Romans chapter 8. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth. Talking about the sky here. No height or depth, the, the, the barriers, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That might not sound crazy to you, but to Paul's original audience, they're like, "Woo, Paul, what you talking about? That's crazy talk. Paul's like, look, no sky can keep you from God. There is no barrier in all creation that would keep God out from you. And this is some good news today. We go, wow. So there is not a barrier. God's not far away. There is not way out there. God is with us. The sky cannot separate you from Jesus. Let me give you one more passage. When you get to Jesus' final moments, when when he's about to leave his earthly form and and he's not going to be around his disciples anymore, uh, we have a a couple different versions of that. In the book of Acts, uh, Acts tells us uh, one account, and the details of what happens immediately following are very interesting for our conversation today. Here's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. imagine this. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. They're watching this, right? When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is such a good passage. They're sitting around. They're watching Jesus go. They're like, there he goes. He's going back to his home. Thanks for visiting. Great, great. You know, love, love it when you come back. And they're all standing there just staring up, watching him go into the clouds. These angels show up. They're like, what are you guys looking at? Uh, Jesus, he went back home. Uh, why, why are you standing here looking up? Well, I just told you because God he just went back home. You know, like, no, no you're, you're missing it. Um, that, that's not the way it works anymore. Yeah, no, he just went. That's where he lived. Now he was went back into the sky. The angels are going, what are you doing? Why are you looking up? You missed the point. He is with us. You read the next chapter in the book of Acts, guess what? The Holy Spirit is on everybody now. And it's like mayhem. They're like, wait a minute. God is now indwelling inside of all of us. It's a radical shift from what they were expecting. You see, instead of an implied distance, Jesus shows us a revealed nearness. They all operated that. Yeah, God is far away. There is an implied distance in creation. Jesus shows up because, like, nope, I'm here. And I'm going to tell you that I'm here. And you don't have to wonder whether or not I'm here anymore because I've already displayed that to you. And so the question that the angels asked is the same question we should be asking today. Why would you stand here looking up? Why would you stand there looking for God to be far away when he has revealed that he is with us, that he is near to us, that he is not far away? And this would have profound consequences if we were to live this way, if we were to shift our thinking in this way. See, if you thought God was near you, what would you do differently than if you thought he was far away? Would you pray different kinds of prayers? Would you risk more? Would you stick around in your marriage? Would you be more generous with your money? Would you be faithful in the small things? Would you have more hope in your situation right now? If you thought God was near you, why would you stand here looking up? You see, God is with us. We should Act like it. Let's pray together. Jesus, would you show us as we look up into the sky that we don't need to expect you to be far away, but that you are in the sky. You are coming to us. That There is no barrier that could keep you from us. There is no implied distance, but instead an amazing, profound, revealed nearness that we can see you. We can experience you. And it should cause us to live radically different. If we knew you're not far away, but you are here, you are near, you are present with us. So as your church, may we live like this is true. May we think like this is true. May we imagine and expect you to show up in each and every moment of our lives. Because you are not far away, but you are here. And may this good news change everything for us. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.